Welcome to the ASHP Advantage Podcast, engaging the experts on ASHP Official, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners about the latest issues in pharmacy and healthcare. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts to discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Dr. Jorge Garcia, Assistant Vice President of System Oncology and Infusion Pharmacy Services at Baptist Health South Florida. And today, chatting with us is Dr. Shuba Bat, Clinical Pharmacy Specialist at the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Bat's main research interest and focus has involved the field of biosimilars and gastroenterology. Today's episode, A New Landscape, Biosimilars in Autoimmune Indications, is part of the ASHP Advantage podcast series, Engaging the Experts, Featuring Conversations with Top-Level Practitioners. This episode is sponsored in part by Amgen and is also supported in part by Independent Medical Education Grants from Sandoz and Awardist Division. This episode is for informational purposes and not approved for continuing education credit. Please visit the Biosimilar Resource Center's initiative at www.adoptbiosimilars.org. Thank you for joining us today and let's get started. Um, this morning we have Dr. Shuba Bhatt uh, with us. Thank you so much for making uh, time for us today. To begin, can you please provide a landscape of biosimilar products available in the rheumatology and gastroenterology space? Certainly, Jorge. I'm, I'm happy to be here, so thank you for having me. Within the rheumatology and gastroenterology space, there are several types of biologic commonly used, including tumor necrosis factor antagonists, interleukin inhibitors, integrin receptor antagonists, as well as T and B cell inhibitors. Specific medications that have biosimilar products available include infliximab, rituximab, and now adalimumab. For example, there are actually nine FDA-approved adalimumab biosimilar products. In the pipeline, biosimilar for use to kinemab may possibly launch in 2025, followed by golimab after that. Etanercept is projected to lose patent exclusivity within the United States in 2028. So in addition to the biosimilar products that we already have, there are um, planned to be several more projected to launch in the near future as well. Thank you, Shuba. And we know that additional exclusivity is not in common for some of the biosimilar products, uh, but still you have described a very robust pipeline of biosimilars coming into the rheumatology and GI space, and that's obviously very exciting. Um, so with, with biosimilars increasingly in these uh, two disease states, the topic of interchangeability really is top of mind, especially thinking about adalimumab. We know this is a product that likely will follow pharmacy benefits, and it may be dispensed out of both institutional setting pharmacies as well as the community setting pharmacies. Can you please talk to us a little bit more about interchangeability within the biosimilar space? 
Yeah, so such a great question. So interchangeability is a destination that is specific to the United States. And what essentially this allows is for substitution of a reference product with a biosimilar product without requiring any additional intervention from the prescriber. This destination can be obtained by manufacturers completing multiple switch studies to demonstrate that the biosimilar product provides the same clinical benefit as the reference product without any increased risk. We currently have one adalimumab biosimilar with this destination that is available for patient use. It is also important to highlight that this destination pertains to automatic substitution of the reference product to biosimilar product and not necessarily biosimilar to biosimilar product. Interestingly, um, Jorge, there's actually a bill currently being proposed to broaden interchangeability status definition to all biosimilars and to remove the requirement of additional switching studies. This practice would be more in line with practices in Europe in which biosimilar medications can be interchanged with the reference product or actually with the equivalent biosimilar. So it'll be interesting to see if this bill passes and how this could affect interchangeability destination going forward. Thank you so much, Shuba. Those are really great insights. I know that following biosimilars closely for a number of years, interchangeability has been the most contested topic in the space. So those are really great insights. I think from a practical standpoint here in the U.S., we've seen that uh, we are using products interchangeably, whether that is through institutional policy or many times we know that payer policies also uh, require that we use biosimilars interchangeably. Thank you for sharing insights on that. Now, just because there is an FDA interchangeability designation does not mean that we as pharmacies can act on it. Can you help us understand how the state laws really play in here? Yeah, certainly. So this is an excellent point. Um, there are definitely indeed pharmacy state laws um, that are specific to biosimilars and the interchangeability process. Some state laws do not allow for substitution to happen if certain criteria is not met. And for example, uh, one, one such criteria might be that a biosimilar product, if it does not result in a lower cost to the patient, then it should not, um, automatic substitution would not be permitted. Um, additionally, there are also rules and criteria for how patients and prescribers should be notified about the substitution and how to also maintain these records. Thank you, Chuba. So as pharmacies, we need to be concerned about both the um, FDA interchangeability designation, but other applicable state laws that may play a role there, especially outside of the institutional setting where the prescriber may be originating from a different entity than the dispensing entity. So lots to consider there. Thank you so much. So my next question here, we know that provider buy-in, it's so, so important. I know you work in the rheumatology and gastroenterology space. How do we get specialist medical providers in this space to really get behind biosimilars? Uh, yes, definitely, Jorge. So you, you hit the nail on the head. It is super critical to have provider buy-in when it relates to biosimilars. And within rheumatology and gastroenterology, there is actually a survey that was disseminated by Cardinal Health between July to October 2022. And this uh, was sent out to 103 rheumatologists as well as 72 gastroenterologists. And the good news, Jorge, is that approximately 76 to 81% of these respondees um, across both specialties reported that they're familiar with biosimilars 
However, what was interesting is that only 42 to 46 percent reported familiarity with the interchangeability destination, and only a half um, proportion actually felt that biosimilars positively impact patient care. So I think you and I can agree that there's still a lot of work to be done here in terms of promoting biosimilar education and adoption. I'm ultimately curious to see how these survey findings will evolve over time. Um, as the introduction of biosimilars in rheumatology and gastroenterology prior to the launch of adalitumab has been administered by a provider and not necessarily self-administered. Thank you, Chuba. I, I think this surveyed information really tells us how important the role of education is, including education to the providers and in general, so important that the providers do retain the ability to have choices, which is why I think in the biosimilar space, we try to have ad parity approach with the products so the providers and the patients can ultimately have those choices available to them. Now, especially as we bring adalimumab within scope, can you help us understand the differences between provider-administered biosimilars versus self-administered biosimilars and the impact that we can expect there? Yeah, certainly. So for the provider-administered medications like rituximab and infliximab, um, dispensing a biosimilar product was relatively straightforward because all this essentially required was just for the proper medication vial to be used and the update to the medication label to reflect the biosimilar name. So interestingly, if patients did not observe the compounding of their medication or if they didn't actually look at their medication label, they may not even know that they were receiving a biosimilar product. Conversely, the self-injectable biosimilar product would definitely be a lot more apparent to patients. And since uh, these are um, since there's actually patents on the injection device and the additional product attribute, um, particularly in the setting of adalitumab, patients would definitely be much more aware about these biosimilar products uh, because there will be noticeable differences between these adalitumab reference and biosimilar products. So in summary, we definitely need more education and awareness about this um, prior to patients receiving the adalitumab biosimilar product because um, it's definitely going to be apparent to patients and we want to make sure that if that transition were to occur, it would happen smoothly. That's a great point, Shua. I had actually never thought of, but you're right. With this self-administration products, it's going to be a lot more apparent to patients that they are receiving a biosimilar products. Great point there. I think also when we think about this new class of self-injectables, that is giving payers another arm to manage potentially fully through pharmacy benefits. And so it'll be interesting to see how PBMs come into that space to uh, build benefit designs around these products. So a lot of good insights there. Um, now, can you talk to us about Adalimuma biosimilars specifically and those educational points that you think will be important to highlight? Oh, yes, definitely. So this is an evolving field, um, so there may be additional information that comes out since the time of the podcast airing. But as of right now, there's currently nine FDA-approved adalimumab biosimilar uh, with one product currently containing interchangeability destination. Um, it's also important to note that there are two concentrations of adalimumab reference products. So we have the 40 milligram over 0.8 ml, and this is considered a low concentration. And we have a 40 milligram over 0.4 ml, and this is considered a high concentration. 
Um, this is particularly important to note um, because the con concentration does affect the number of injections the patient will do for that initial adalimumab loading dose. Other notable product attributes include the inclusion of citrate and or latex. Um, interestingly, there will be variations in storage stability at room temperature. So some products are going to be stable for 14 days and others are stable for actually one entire month for 30 days. And then there will also be different device formulations available, such as an auto-injector pen or pre-filled syringes. Each manufacturer will likely offer copay assistance and patient resources such as nurse ambassadors, but it's important for patients to make sure that they sign up for the correct program to uh, obtain these benefits. Lastly, it would be ideal if prescribers and patient preferences could be taken into account when determining the best adalimumab biosimilar product. Um, but again, as you had previously mentioned, that it's likely going to be driven by payers and their formulary preferences. Um, regardless, though, I, I strongly believe that education and awareness of the various adalimumab biosimilar products will go a long way in making sure that patients are confident about their treatment and are not at increased risk of experiencing nocebo effects. Thank you so much there. Lots of great insights. You know, as we think about adalimumab, we're seeing not only a lot more biosimilar options coming into the space, but also there's unique product differentiation that may have an impact operationally and for patients as well. Um, I think even in this space, we may see widely different pricing points for the product. So again, so much to consider here and just talking about one single uh, class with adalimumab. So Shuba, you close your previous answer by talking about the nocebo effect. I wanna make sure everyone listening is familiar with the term. Can you help us understand further? Yeah, definitely. So nocebo effect relates to patients experiencing a physiological effect or adverse effect that they relate to the treatment despite the medication not necessarily being associated with that effect. And a lot of what drives or shapes placebo effect is really having a negative perception of treatment at baseline. And this can actually be heavily influenced by the prescribers and the support team, as well as how they convey information about biosimilars to patients. So it is really important to make sure that prescribers and staff are confident about biosimilars and they provide the correct and necessary information so that patients can feel more assured about their treatment and not necessarily develop a negative perception of it. The SIBO effect is, is super detrimental to biosimilar adoption and implementation. And so I can't reiterate this enough, but all efforts should really be taken up front to proactively mitigate this. And a lot of the efforts should really be focused around education. Thank you, Shuba. I know we talked about some of the survey information that shows, shows initial hesitancy around biosimilars, sometimes coming from most providers. So when I think about nocebo effect, I think about making sure that we don't give the patients the impression that they should expect anything less from that biosimilar compared to the reference product, as we know that can have a profound effect on patient perception as well. Well, this has been an informative discussion thus far. We have time for one more question. And we saw that you and colleagues, you had recently published a premiere on Adelimoma biosimilars for a specialty pharmacist in the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy. Uh, what should our audience know about this recent publication? Oh, yeah. So thank you for taking the moment to highlight that out, um, Jorge. We wrote the publication with the intent to be super um, informative, and so we're excited to see this in, in print. 
Um, but as I mentioned, so we're hoping that this, this timer will essentially be informative for all pharmacists, whether they're embedded in the specialty pharmacy or the clinic. Um, in addition to what we had discussed in some of the content in this podcast here, uh, particularly relating to highlights about the adalimumab biosimilars and some of the product attributes, um, there, are, there are other important components to consider, and this is really more the logistical side of biosimilars as it relates to prescribing, dispensing, formulary considerations, and inventory. In this publication, we discuss these logistical factors more in detail. And I think it would also be good to highlight, Jorge, that we have provided a checklist of all the steps to consider um, as it relates to the adoption of biosimilars, specifically at a little map, into the specialty pharmacy practice. Um, and so I, I would highly recommend um, that people check it out. And I'll note, it is highlighted on the ASHP Biosimilar Resource Center that you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Um, and I am hoping that it will save us a practical resource for all. Thank you. And as we come to a close in here, we know that the landscape of biosimilars in the rheumatology and gastroenterology space is very robust and more products will be launching in the near future. We're very excited to see how entry of adalimumab biosimilars will play out as there are various uh, new attributes for us to be aware of and consider in our rollouts. I want to thank you one more time, Shuba, for all the, the different insights that you have shared with us today. For the rest of the audience, please visit the Biosimilar Resource Center initiative. You may access that at www adoptbiosimilars.org. We hope that you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to subscribe to the ASHP podcast through your favorite podcast provider. So much appreciate your attention today and good day to all. Thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advantage podcast, engaging the experts. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time for more expert perspectives on ASHP Official.